Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert hanging out with Julian McKenzie, or the King of Montreal, he's now known as, after the last four days of hosting, partying, socializing. That's Yo. that's how it goes, right, Julian? That's how it went in Yo, Montreal, the draft weekend? I have weekend? to say, this is my first time ever experiencing draft week uh, as a media member, and it is a week I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. I got to meet a lot of people. Uh, who I work with at The Athletic, uh, got to chum it up with fans uh, at the SDPN uh, Fan Appreciation Night. And yes, there was some partying, a lot of journalists, uh, some some hockey personnel going in and out of uh, uh, watering holes and, and whatnot in different parts of downtown. And everyone was wholesome. There was no 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 crazy stuff. No no one's getting doxxed or anything like that. It was it was like I've, I've never seen anything like it. Like you hear about it, you know, if you're on the periphery of – being in media or, or anything like that, but just getting to see it all firsthand, especially just being at the draft. Like this was something not to make it about myself, but this is something I've never, I had never experienced before. And I've been looking forward to it all year. And it was, it was pretty much everything I wanted and more. It was, it was, it was really a time. It was fun. King of Montreal, because it was your home turf, of course, but really your world's colliding. I mean, your day job at the athletic, literally everyone who works at the athletic, I think was there because as they should be, it's been, maybe a couple months off, give or take for, for some who haven't been able to cover at least games for a little while. So of course you're, you're, you're covering the draft prospects coming in, but also SDPN and there was a big party there. So uh, if there was like a Venn diagram of draft weekend, it's Julian McKenzie in the center. And then the two worlds on each sides, lots of overlap there. I, I think it would have been too much if the zone time crew showed up because I don't know how no, you would have, I don't know how not, you would have compartmentalized have your time. It, it would have, it would have been impossible. Here's the thing. I met uh, Tic Tac Tomar in person for the very first time at the SDPN event. And I know he, he sometimes does stuff with them too, but mm-hmm. also in a really weird way, like, like you could add that third circle in because there was representation. Also one of the highlights of my weekend. I know he doesn't work for Yahoo anymore, but having the OG puck daddy say that zone time is a good show. <laughs> Greg Wyshynski I was floating on a crowd. He he literally we were at a karaoke bar and he 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 just went up to me and he said, dude, I like zone time. I was just like, what? Like that's that that means a lot considering what the show is. Uh yeah. Like this week was just I know we're gonna get to draft stuff, uh, but this was this was really great. This was my I, I couldn't believe it, man. I, I I can't even put together eloquent words about how awesome that week was. You were missed. You and and everyone else on Zone Time, the Iowa Sports Talking Podcast, you were missed because I know. Uh, we would have carved out time for each other and we would have had an absolute blast. Like we would have been, you ever been to Ziggy's in Montreal? No, man. Well, maybe I don't remember if I was though. So Ziggy's is like this random dive bar on Crescent in Montreal, where apparently whenever there's a big hockey shindig going down, all the journalists like to go in there. 
Mm-hmm. And at least on the two nights I went this week, like everybody was there. Everybody. Like you're walking in and it kind of feels like a you're like a sardine in a tin can. Maybe it could be a super spreader event, but it probably won't be. I don't know. Uh, but like it was like everyone was in there. And I'm sure you would have been in that in that circle as well. Like everybody was like Katie Strang. I've seen Katie Strang a bunch of times this week. Like it was it was it was insane. Just having people in Montreal, having people who hadn't seen each other for like three years and seeing them all talk to each other, have face to face meetings, hugging each other, doing jokes, giving each other dap and all that and, and bar hopping and all that like we're going about about the whole party aspect of it and we're trying to be fun about it but there is a really cool feeling with that knowing what we've all gone through over the last two three years with the pandemic it was i think that played a lot into a lot of the good vibes that played out over the last four or five days because of the fact that a lot of people got to see each other for the first time in so long and meeting people like i met like emily kaplan this week and that was also mm-hmm. a big highlight allison lucan who works with the seattle also a very big highlight as well. Uh, Micah McCurdy, uh, big in the advanced stats community, also there. Uh, got to reconnect with Eric Parnas, the director of analytics with the Colorado Avalanche, uh, who was once upon a time a uh, TSN 690 intern at the same time I was. And one really? of, but between us both, one of us has a Stanley Cup, and it's <laughs> not me. So, but I'll, yeah, it, it was very special. It really meant a lot to me. And I think it meant a lot to a lot of the media people who happened to be in town for that week. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this sort of stuff is going by the wayside a little bit. Like if you were in this industry 25 years ago, this was your life. You were just partying every, you know, you go to every event because budgets were such that you could go to every event and you cover hockey and it's very small group and they got to do this over and over and over again. It's a little bit different now. It's a little bit more special now because it doesn't happen all the time, but special nights like the draft and, maybe the Stanley cup final and other things like that. That's when you get this opportunity, but you mentioned it with the pandemic, it hasn't happened. And for someone like you, you work sort of remote from the most of people that you work with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you're obviously, uh, you know, in that group that's covering the Canadians uh, for the athletic, but I'm sure you collaborate. And I know you do with so many people at the athletic, and I'm sure you got to meet a lot of them this weekend in addition to, hey, your other company, STPN, which is based in Toronto. So got to overlap with them as well. So that's all very, very exciting. I do have a little bit of FOMO. I wish I was there. But aside from a single meeting, and like wish can't meeting wish can't be your highlight with all due respect to wish he can't be your highlight of the weekend i need it's some a highlight sort of something it's that high- stuck out other than a meeting like it's not a, not you like meeting someone for the first time reunion with someone i don't want you to, again i don't want to dox anyone here i know you guys went to karaoke and other things are ha- like what is the the one thing you'll be thinking about maybe laughing about years to come that happened this weekend that you can share on a okay um i i definitely at karaoke uh doing a uh, like meeting matt larkin who, who obviously works at the hockey news and both of us coming together to do a duet of under pressure by david wow. bowie and queen we were just like okay we're, we're gonna go up and do this i took david bowie's vocals and, and, and matt took uh, freddie mercury's and and it was very special it was great nice um any video I, uh, no, I, not for me anyway. It's totally possible other people do, but I didn't have the wherewithal to hold the phone up and, and record myself singing at the same time. Um, that's that's definitely going to stand up out there for me. I mean, just seeing if there's one group of people. So I'll say this about the karaoke bar we went to. It's in this one part of town in Montreal. It's called L'Astral de Mille. 
And normally the Montreal guys, they'll go to that bar, like at different parts of the year, like they'll have like a little like mini Christmas party. And it's the guys on the French side who like love that place and mm. they dominate it. And they, they go up there, they sing songs in English and in French and they kill it. John Lou will step up and will sing songs in French and everybody loses their minds. And like, he'll even like switch some of the lyrics up to like, canadians personnel members like one year he sang this like one french song uh which the french style is, is bobby pin and he switched it to Bergevin, and everyone lost their minds like john <laughs> lou has endeared himself to the french side of the media joking in montreal like i've never seen before i think that night definitely stands out as like one of the more special ones especially from this past week because you got to see a whole bunch of people you'd never think would have the balls to go up and, and sing karaoke and they do it. It's just like a great way of kind of like lowering your guards down. And, and, you know, you see media people, you're like, oh, man, they might be stuffy people or, you know, no, they're, they're human beings. Get a day. They like singing old songs and, and, and being human beings every now and again. So that's definitely up there and among the things I think I can actually share that I saw from these past four days, because there was a lot of people who were a lot of people were wilding. A lot mm. of people were wild. And I think a lot of people. uh really liked uh they really liked the fact that they're in montreal i met alan walsh in person actually i should also mm -hmm. mention that alan walsh is a good dude alan walsh uh just just really 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 a good dude and i and like i still think he is you know obviously him being an agent and the role that he has in the league like the fact that he's willing to put himself out there and say all these things to be this outspoken personality like he he is a part of the fabric of the league and to actually have like face-to-face -face contact with him, I thought that was pretty cool for me as well. So I'm, I'm also going to throw that up there too. Nice. Uh, I love it. Even more jealous now. Um, but yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to make you jealous, man. Like this is like, I'm happy, but like, I, I feel I'm like, I did think like at times I was like, you should be here. You really should be here. I probably should have been there. Uh, not, I wouldn't promise that I'd be up on stage, but it probably would, uh, require about 12 of the whatever beers would have been the house of choice there for me you don't have like a go-to karaoke to song i could actually sing a country song no problem wouldn't be an issue i don't know if i could go Come john lou-esque where i'm you know improvising on the spot there's no chance i'll leave that to him but uh i also like how the nhl sort of catered to the media because nothing really happened early on nothing really happened after the second round of course, there was a lot of action on draft night when you guys were actually working, but before and after, I you know, kind of, uh, kind of set up for you guys to enjoy yourselves or am I just imagining things? No, I don't know. I, I mean, I think people were taking advantage of it for sure. I, I, and I think the fact that, to your point about them catering to us, I mean, like I think of the media availabilities and seeing like the young players, like around on the draft floor getting taken, like they're all there and everyone's in these scrums and following them around. I'm like, we haven't seen that as regularly as we would have liked in like two three years it, it was it was not like i had to be on a on a zoom availability with with kirby doc when he after he got traded to the canadians and i was like mm -hmm. this is weird now before <laughs> it was oh this is weird because we were used to you know doing scrums in person but now everyone is getting into zoom and it's become the norm and and like even now like we're we're on zoom now but with a player and all the media access we were able to get in person over the last how many days it just felt weird just this one zoom call and understandably he was he was i think i think kirby Doc was at home in saskatchewan like it was just like oh right yeah not everyone could be in person 
and, and, and I'll mention this too. And again, just, I know we'll get more into draft stuff. One other highlight of this week, being in the building and hearing the, the names being called mm-hmm. and the crowd going off. And even on day two, where there are noticeably fewer people, but then after every name gets mentioned, the families that are in attendance, you hear those groups go off and, and cheer on their kids. That's also special too, because Yes, the draft is, is, is fun for us as media types, but it's about the players. It's about those young kids whose dreams get to come true and the families who've spent so much time helping them to get to that point. And they get to celebrate with their kids and, they, and, and, and see them put on their jersey and, 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 and give dap to everyone in the franchise that they're going to be working with. And seeing that from a distance was also really cool and, mm-hmm. and something I'll, I'll think about for a very long time. Now, I know Montreal being at the top of the draft board certainly helped the atmosphere, but it didn't really need that, I guess. Like, it didn't quite translate to TV how, like, raucous and exciting it was, but, you know, all the commentary on Twitter made it seem like Montreal was the perfect host for this because, uh, not just because it's Montreal or they had the first overall pick, it was very welcoming, everybody was there, it seemed like a great venue, and it certainly played out that way in real time, so... You know, one of the questions or one of the discussions that we've had um, since the draft is, should Montreal just be the permanent draft host? Should this be like the epicenter of draft night? Um, I kind of think it should for a variety of reasons, some of which we touched on the on the top, but also like it's it would be a big moment, like a big event for this city that would be able to improve on it and make it better each and every time. And I just think the passion is there. I guess it was the perfect time timing because Montreal had the first overall pick, but I don't even think it would matter. I think it would be a great event every time Montreal hosts it because it's just uh, an accessible, fun location. And there's going to be fan presence uh, regardless, even if Montreal doesn't have a pick in the first round, I think it'd be very, very exciting. So your liver might disagree, but do you think Montreal should be the permanent draft host? I see I think it's a great idea, honestly. I think it's a great idea. I think of the 2009 draft when it was in Montreal. And I think of a whole bunch of my friends in high school who, even if they didn't have tickets to go inside, they have memories of being around the Bell Center and seeing all these young draft picks, like walking around the building and having photos with guys like John Tavares and Nazem Kadri and some of the older legends who were coming up. And the fa- you're right, the fan presence, it makes itself known. Uh, and that was in 2009. And in 2022... Yeah, all those people just outside the Bell Center. Uh, again, the fan presence with the Canadians, but also other franchises as well, just coming in and, and enjoying it. And look, the Canadians know how to put on a show. We've seen it with how they've handled other big events in and around the team throughout the season. They definitely know how to put on uh, an NHL draft. So I, I, I don't have a problem with that idea. I think it, the, the love fest was definitely amplified by the fact that it was the first in-person draft in a few years. Mm. But I also think, you know, just kind of like how, uh, like in the NBA, they'll have the draft a lot in, in New York, where a lot of people see as the mecca of basketball. Or, you know, the NFL will play around with different places, but they've also had it in New York. I don't see any issue with having just one place if they're equipped to host the spot why not have it there, especially a, a passionate market like Montreal? Yeah, I, I, I could totally see it making making sense. And again, just seeing all the media people take advantage of the city and enjoy it. Like people love it too. And I'm, and I'm sure uh, player personnel for NHL teams, I think some of them like the idea of getting to hang out in Montreal for a couple of days 
and mm-hmm. and and do things in and out of the draft as well. So, yeah, I, I I'll vote for it. If yeah, it's hard. Vote. It's hard to imagine anyone really disagreeing with it. Like as you mentioned, I think it caters to pretty much everybody who would be involved. Um, and there was talk, at least before the smashing success that it was, that maybe they'd go back to the virtual draft. I think Steve Eiserman was saying how how much easier, how much better he liked it uh, the last two years when it was virtual. But it's mm-hmm. you know the NHL is an entertainment business. It's not about what makes Steve Eiserman's life a little bit more convenient. So they have to make this into a show, and it can be a show. They just literally just proved it the other day that it can be a very, very exciting product, both in person and on television. Uh, You know, they're talking about, I heard Elliot Friedman talking about like, Oh, do you send all the players to Disney world and you do it like the NFL where the players go up, but the the general managers don't have to be there. Maybe there's a hybrid model, but if it's, if it's in Montreal, I think everyone's just going to descend on Montreal because there's lots of reason to want to be in Montreal in late June or early July. Um, Shane Wright though. I don't think he wanted to be where he was for at least a little bit. I know, I know he's taken this with stride. The fact that he was projected to go first and went fourth to the Seattle Kraken. Um, I think he handled it about as well as he could. I do feel bad for him that he had, or he felt like he had to shoot a glare at the Montreal Canadiens table when he was accepting his Jersey and ball cap and shaking the hand of Gary Bettman. Like I felt bad for him in that moment, more so than him just sliding. I think it's all going to work out. He's going to have a chance to prove himself. He's going to have an opportunity to be the guy for the Seattle Kraken. And I think that's great, but I felt a little bit bad for him in that moment that he had to, or at least it looked like he felt he needed to show up the Montreal Canadiens table after the Montreal Canadiens went with Uri Slavkovsky instead. So I'll just open the floor to you on that. Your thoughts on Montreal's decision and right going number four to Seattle and reacting the way that he did. Man, I have to say just with how that played out and then we'll eventually get to the trade, but I think the Canadians ended up producing the most exciting moment I've seen at an NHL draft as long as I've ever followed the NHL draft. I understand Mm -hmm. there have been draft day trades before and people have gotten excited. But there was, I think there were people in the moment as those trades were being announced that thought, okay, there were people thinking, okay, the Canadians are going to find a way to trade back into that top four and get Shane Wright and leave with Slap and Wright. Do you, like, if that happened, Mm. you could have just shut the draft down at that point. It didn't happen that way, but it was exciting. It was incredible. And I hadn't seen anything like it. But for a guy like Shane Wright, who I thought was going to go number one, I've been on record saying he was going to go number one. And so many other people, said the same thing because they thought the Canadians were essentially throwing up a smoke screen for them to go out and get your Slavkovsky first overall. That's madness. Like that is, that is a gutsy pick. The, like the Canadians for years, uh, fans have wanted them to solidify their center depth. And there was an opportunity for them to do that with taking Shane, right. But they end up taking a big scoring winger who that's also an area where the Canadians have needed help at for quite some time. They haven't had, Uh, a lot of guys who are known for just being skilled, talented players and people who could score goals. And it seems as Mm -hmm. if Yuri Slavkovsky, even if if you want to get into a whole debate about who he's played up against to to kind of bring up some of those totals and how he's played at the Olympics and all that, who who, the type of players he was playing up against. But I think the Canadians see him as a guy who could eventually fill a need for them down the road in a way that, in a way that Shane Wright couldn't. And I, I still think that, the confidence that Uri Slavkovsky kind of showed leading up to him being picked with some of the stuff that he was saying and 
it seems as if the way that he was able to embrace that pressure, I don't know if he realized this at one point, but like, I think there was someone that said just prior to him being drafted, like there were some people booing and he wasn't phased by it. He, he got asked about it later and said, you know what? There are some guys who like me, some guys who boo me, but if I play well enough, they'll all like me. And it got to a point where he's able to walk through the crowd and give dap to everyone. Like he was, it was like WWE style. <laughs> like it was yeah. in, it was crazy what was going on with Uri Slavkovsky and the fact that he, that's how he was responding to the pressure, the, the, the adoration and everything else that came with it from that crowd. I think that's an easy pass for, for an easy a for, for Uri Slavkovsky on that. And Mm -hmm. that gives me questions about how a guy like Shane Wright would have handled something like that. And the fact that he was bypassed by New Jersey and Arizona like yeah. I have way more questions about Shane Wright. I, I mean, look, I I felt bad, and then I felt I felt bad too for him because you know we all thought he was going to go number one, and then for him to go to number four, I mean, like a mid, kind of like a mini Aaron Rodgers situation, and what we were seeing here, a guy who we thought was going to go a lot higher, but he kind of had to sit back and 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 wait for his name to be called. I didn't mind the the glare at the Canadian's table though. I thought that was that was pretty funny. Uh, it was entertainment. We want ever- entertainment with the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Why not have them, you know, give the death stare to the Canadians management thinking like, oh, you know, you guys are going to regret this pick. And I was talking about it. I forget who I was talking about it with, but another hockey reporter. And there's an opportunity for Shane Wright to not have that pressure of being the number one guy going to Seattle and, oh, yeah. and, and, and working along a guy with a guy like Matty Beniers. Like he doesn't have to necessarily be the absolute, the absolute guy in Seattle either. Like, there's an opportunity for Shane Wright to make the most of him falling to fourth overall, but for the Canadians, like, I mean, I think a lot of people hope for their sake that this works uh, because they had an opportunity to take a center for free and not try to trade for Kirby doc to get it. Uh, but your Slavkovsky seems to be the guy and we just have to wait and see how he pans out. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one that you touched on, uh, silver lining for, not silver lining, but I, I feel like there would have been pressure, obviously, in Montreal, but there would have been pressure for Shane Wright to be in the NHL and contributing next season. And we've seen, like, Alexi Lafreniere's development maybe stunted a little bit. Maybe he's not the player we, we expected him to be. Maybe he will be that player. Maybe his his trajectory was sort of disrupted and and it wasn't he wasn't handled the best way possible and now i think shane wright who missed out on so much hockey when he was a young guy uh it, a young junior player even though he got to junior so quickly he missed out on so much time and now he can probably go back there without there being any like uh second guessing or any criticism because he can he's the fourth overall pick and he doesn't have to be in the nhl next year he can go back uh, to junior and play a full season, which I think will be important for him. And then maybe he's the best player of the draft anyway. And Seattle will be, will be obviously over the moon with that. But I think the, the look said it all for me in that Kent Hughes fooled everybody. I think he fooled Shane, Wright. I mean, there's only one way to react or one reason to react uh, like he did. And that said, he was under the impression that he was going number one. That's what, at least what it seems like to me. Uh, And he had everyone fooled and it was brilliant. The showmanship was fantastic. Uh, He, he kept the intrigue and that was the best thing that they could have possibly had uh, for TV, for the entertainment value in the moment. And Kent Hughes saying Slavkovsky's name, the only downside is there wasn't that unanimous approval. But by the end of the night, 
as you mentioned, Slavkovsky slapping hands with everybody uh, and it worked out and there's going to be no talk about the reaction on draft night because it was overwhelmingly positive by the end. Kirby Doc is the next piece. Instead of going with the center, they trade for the center. Uh, you speaking on Alexander Romanov, like there's no one better. So I'll have you give your thoughts on him. Um, but to go out and get both positions as opposed to just one looks like a brilliant move from Kent Hughes. I'm not sure if Kirby Doc's development uh, has been permanently damaged. He is actually at the end of a three-year entry-level deal. He's going to have to sign a restricted uh, free agent contract with Montreal. We'll see how that shakes down. But they have the makings now in Montreal. Like we see the future. We see what they envision, which is a core group built around Slavkovsky, Doc, Suzuki, Caulfield. How does that sound to you? And any regret moving on from Alexander Romanov? I think, okay, with, with those four names you mentioned, the Canadians fans should be salivating at the mouth at that. Like those are all talented, solid young players up front. And I can't think of the last time for as long as I've been watching the Montreal Canadiens where there's been so much promise for forward talent, like those four names you just mentioned there. And I think you have to go back a long time just to see this much of an accumulation of talent at that rate with, with Kirby doc. I I'm with you. I, I don't think he, I think there's still a lot for him. this is a guy at 21 years old, big center. Uh, I understand the point totals are not necessarily great. And the faceoff rate is pretty terrible. Uh, but he seems to be pretty good defensively. Uh, and he seems like he wants to make things work. The, the, what still stood out to me, and I know I wrote about for The Athletic, is the fact that, you know, he's obviously welcoming the idea of a fresh start, but he feels he can still be a dominant player. And he feels Martin St. Louis could do that. And that speaks to the reputation that Martin St. Louis has already built up for himself as a guy who has not even been a coach for a full calendar year yet in the National Hockey League and what he's done with his own players in Montreal. And Kirby Doc from a distance is saying, oh, well, this is the situation I'm going to be in now. I get to work with Martin Saint-Louis. I think I'm going to get along with him just fine. And he's going to help me be a dominant player. Like that, I think, speaks volumes to, I think, what Martin Saint-Louis has at least tried to start in Montreal. I've seen a lot of people, I guess, kind of feel a bit weird about the Alexander Romanov switch because I think there are some guys who questioned a lot of his decision-making and whatever ability he might have on the offensive side, but he did show some glimpses of, of, of starting to come along on that under Martin St. Louis and just obviously the physical play uh, that obviously stood out and also just his youthful exuberance. And people looked at him as a piece that was going to be part of the core going forward. You talk about the guys up front, he was somebody who, you know, if you're looking at defense at the back, he probably was, he, not probably, he was seen as a guy who would be part of that future. But now that he's off the roster, I look at that defense core and I have questions. I have this really important question. You could tell me if I'm wrong or not, but a lot of people are looking at the Canadians at left-hand defense and they do have players coming up in the wings like a Jordan Harris who got to play games last year. Corey Schooneman also got to play games last year. Kaden Gooley also plays on the left-hand side. Uh, Arbor Jackai is going to be a pro this year. That's a lot of young players who can play at that left-hand side. So I can understand, you know what, you feel you deal away a guy like Alexander Romanov, it's a lot easier for one of those younger players to step up and take that spot. But even if you're in a situation where 
your team is not expected to win a lot of games. Isn't it still risky to have like a pretty young defense core to play 82 games with and have them all go through all that experience? Like it's very possible that the Canadians could enter next season with like Joel Edmondson as their, their most experienced guy with like Jeff Petrie already gone. And then, you know, Chris Weidman probably hanging around on a third pairing somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then you're basically asking the Canadians to get a lot out of Jordan Harris, maybe Caden Gooley, maybe Justin Barron gets reps on the right-hand side as well. Young, talented guys who look, they, they show that they're ready to play, but maybe you want like a slightly more experienced guy to kind of offset some of those reps as well. So that way it's also easy for some of those younger players to go back and forth between playing in the minors and in the national hockey league as well. I, I maybe I'm wrong, but I, I feel as if the Canadians might still have to add like a slightly older guy on defense. So that way they don't put themselves in a position where they just have to plug all those young players and just get them playing right away. Like, I, I think if they're ready to do it, it's one thing, but I don't think you necessarily need to throw them all to the wolves and have them go through a season where they know it's not going to go that well and have it affect their confidence. So that's, that's also, so for me, I think with the Romanov move, while it does that get them a center, I think it also just creates a bit of a hole on the left-hand side on defense that I don't know. I mean, maybe training camp or development camp will say something else, but is Caden Gooley ready to fill up that role on the third pairing? Like, I don't know. Is, 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 is Jordan, are they comfortable with Jordan Harris being a number two guy, being his direct replacement? I don't know. I think the Canadians have, it's maybe not the most pressing question for free agency when it starts, but I want, but I wonder what Kent Hughes is thinking on the left-hand defense side. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're going to be in the market for, uh, help on defense because you're right that's way too thin and you don't want to expose defensemen to situations that they're simply not prepared for and th- the names that you mentioned I like I, I don't have deep scouting reports I don't have personal anecdotes that I can offer but it sounds like it's a defense score that's not ready for prime time and maybe that factored into the decision with uh, Alexander Romanov in that okay, if he's still on the roster here we're gonna have to throw him to the wolves and what's that gonna do for his already questionable development developmental process here like if he's our number one defenseman because we're going young what's that going to do to the future prospects of Alexander Romanov so maybe that's part of the reason why they went that way but I do find it interesting that you know I've been guilty on this podcast of saying it's about Jeff Gordon and not Ken Hughes I think what we saw at the draft you know maybe maybe I'm buying more Kent Hughes stock than I was before but Jeff Gordon built the New York Rangers from the back out to a certain extent. I'm not sure if he drafted Keandre Miller, but he got Adam Fox. He signed Jacob Truba, if I'm not mistaken. Ryan Lindgren, I believe, is his his guy as well. And Igor Shesterkin came in and was developed under his watch as well. So that team is trying to build themselves from the back, the back end out, from the goaltender out, the crease out, whatever you want to call it. While it looks like the Montreal Canadiens, the first few important slabs into the foundation, all forwards. And I wonder how that'll that'll shape out because it's more difficult than anything. I understand Carey Price is there, but is he a part of the next iteration, the next competitive iteration of the Montreal Canadiens? I'm not really sure. We shall see. Um, but that defensive core has prospects, as you mentioned, uh, but has no sure thing. So I wonder, I wonder about you know exactly where they want to take this, where, what they're what they're planning. But it's pretty obvious that they are building a team around those four forwards and. We'll see how that uh, works out for them. Yeah, I, I think the fact that they do have all those prospects on defense, 
Uh, and I mentioned a lot of guys on the left-hand side. And I mean, we could go in on the right-hand side as well. I mean, Justin Barrett, I mean, there's also going to be tons of questions about what they're going to do with Logan Mayu as well. Good prospects they, though. Well, they exactly, Aaron. but yes, they have, they are trying to also, I think there is evidence that they are also trying to build out from defense as well. But I think the Canadians, especially they realized there was a void of, of skill and talent on the forward positions in their prospect pool. And I think that explains why they went out and got guys like, like a Slavkovsky and a, and a Philip Mesar. And also another guy, funny enough, we didn't even throw his name out there, Lane Hudson, who's like 5'8 and is going to go through a couple more years of development. And if and if all works out, a couple more years of growing too. The Canadian a defenseman, def- right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like he, I was watching a video of him hours before we were getting going. It's like a stretch of play where he's just like controlling the puck like 60, 70% of the yeah. time in the offensive zone. And he is an absolute wizard. And like the Canadians were able to get him with like a late second round pick. Like that's incredible. I think the Canadian, there's evidence that there's defense already, uh, you know, they're being built out. But I think what the Canadians especially tried to do in that, in this draft is just get skilled, talented players, regardless of size, regardless of where they're from, because they felt in their organization, there wasn't much of that. So I think they were able to do that knowing that their defense largely because of previous drafts, they've already addressed that there was a need for guys on the left and the right-hand side. So we can see what the Montreal Canadiens are going to look like in the future. We got the makings of it. We see what Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon want to build. That can't, same can't be said for another young general manager in Kyle Davidson. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks were largely the story, I think, other than Montreal. I think Montreal was the main story. But other than Montreal, the Chicago Blackhawks made themselves most prominent um, at the 2022 NHL draft. Trading Kirby Doc to the Montreal Canadiens was one thing. Also trading Alex Dabrinkat to the Ottawa Senators. The Atlantic Division getting more fun thanks to the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, they also helped out the Toronto Maple Leafs by taking on Peter Mrazek's contract for, I think, 13 spots in the draft moving back into the first round. They take Kevin Korchinski, I believe is how you pronounce his name, seventh overall. They were without a first-round pick because they traded away a ton of futures assets to get Seth Jones last summer. So the Chicago Blackhawks are in a free-for-all type of mode. They are liquidating. It is a fire sale. Kyle Davidson, it appears, wants to lengthen the, the leash, his professional leash as long as possible by stripping it down before he puts any meaningful pieces or progress together. Um, I, I get all that. There were a lot of like people speculating, or not speculating, but like... W- w- asking why Chicago was going the route they were going. I mean, it's pretty obvious. They don't have a good roster. They need to tear things down. And I guess to could have been on the other side of a potential rebuild, but you know, that was one of their main trade ships. Um, of course, Seth Jones, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane are still on the roster. And it feels like Kyle Davidson's trying to almost dare Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze in particular to ask for a trade. He's not going to do it because, of course, these are legends. When they signed those matching $10.5 million deals, it was thanks for three Stanley Cups. It was you can be a Blackhawk for life if that's what you so choose. It means uh, numbers retired, banners raised, all that stuff. But Davidson, it seems, is going the passive-aggressive route, which is to trade away everything around those two players in what I believe is an attempt to get them to ask for a trade. And I am pleading Patrick Kane from my little hole in my basement here to ask for that trade, because if he hits the market, it would be so, so fun 
to see play, or players and teams, not players, teams fall over themselves trying to get Patrick Kane at maybe 50% of the cost. That would be tremendous. Um, but, you know, I, I've said what I've said as almost fact, and it is sort of subjective here what Chicago is doing. So what's your read on what Davidson and the Blackhawks did? And do you are you with me in that it looks like he's trying to get those two players to ask for a trade rather than just approaching them with that idea? I feel like you could say to your point, I think what he's done this past weekend with getting rid of Alex to and Kirby doc, that might be the most direct way of finding a way to get them to, to try to get, find their way out of Chicago, because those two players in particular have likely been questioning their futures in Chicago for the better part of the last, how many months we've been trying to figure out what their futures would be. This is not a good team. They're not destined to be a cup contender for the foreseeable future, especially with that other team in, in, in Colorado doing really well in the Western conference. Yeah. I'm with you on the Patrick Kane thing though. If he puts himself out there available for trade, this is a guy who had like a 92 point season last year. He's in the twilight of his career. He can still contribute to a cup contending team. And if you're able to get Chicago to retain salary, that is a guy you want uh, strictly for, for hockey stuff. You want him on the ice on your team playing mm-hmm. alongside your best center. Like think of some of the teams who could you, who want to get over, over the top and could use a player like Patrick Kane on their roster. Like, could you imagine if like the Leafs like traded for Patrick Kane or something like that would be, that would like people would lose their mind in Toronto. I know people, some people only one year left, only one year left on both of them. Like, come on. There is no, there's no reason for Patrick Kane to waste this year. No, there's no reason for the Blackhawks to not retain half the salary. Patrick Kane could be out there for just over $5 million. Even Jonathan Taze might be worth a look. Like the Edmonton Oilers adding Jonathan Taze for five and a half. Like I could see that happening maybe. Um, but Patrick Kane is the jewel. He's the gem. If he goes for $5 million, he could also call his shot with a full no move. Like if he wants to play somewhere, I think he could get there if he really wanted to. Now the question is, does he want to? Dip the Rangers in on him or something. Like yeah. any cup contending team that feels they need one more piece to get over the hump. Like this is the guy I think worth doing it for compared to Jonathan Tays, who, you know, still coming off a bit of some injury concerns, but yeah, like I, I think for if you're Chicago, like the writing's on the wall here. And I think if you're especially one of those two players between Keynes and Tays, you have to find your way out of the city because you're not going to win anytime soon with Chicago. And they're clearly trying to find a way to usher in a new era. I'll say this too, with the Alex Dabrinkit though, I'm a bit surprised that that's all they got in terms of yeah. the draft picks. I thought they would have gotten, I guess either more futures or or more prospects in a deal. I feel as if for a guy like Alex Debrinkit, who's able to score as many goals as he can score, you can get a little bit more for him. But yeah, I think it was pretty clear what Chicago was trying to do. And look, I'm just sitting back waiting for one of them to ask for a trade. And it seems as if off of, I think Kane's agent is saying at least like, I don't get the sense that he's happy about what's going on either. How could he? And I think it's only a matter of time. Kane has, has I think he has several great seasons left, but this upcoming season should be his best, his next or the best of his next seasons. I mean, this is a guy who's going to be, I believe, 34. Um, I think his skills are going to translate, but you know, why waste this season? Why waste a year where you could be even more valuable to a team if Chicago is willing to retain salary? And of course, it seems like they would. I think they took on Morazic just to hit this the floor by the way that they're going this year. 
I do agree with you on the trade to Debrinket. I think it's a, uh, or the return for Debrinket. I think it's a massive move for Ottawa. I mean, this guy, since he came into the league five years ago, top 10 score, goal scorer in the league. Uh, the last two years, only one fewer goal than Alex Ovechkin. He's scoring goals at an elite level, and Patrick Kane is, has a lot to do with it as his facilitator. But this is a guy who can put the puck in the net, and it's something the, the Ottawa Senators truly needed. I was shocked that a guy like Kirby Doc isn't safe from a rebuild in Chicago. This guy is only 21, I think, three years into his career. Guys that are 21 and former third overall picks, not safe from a rebuild. That shows you exactly the direction that Chicago is going. Like it's going to get worse from here. The return is fine on Debrinkat if Korchinski is Kale McCarr. I mean, the return might be fine on for Montreal. Uh, but again, it's just futures assets. And you have to trust that Kyle Davidson knows what he's doing. And if you if you look at some people's opinions on even the return on Morazic, you would say he doesn't know what he's doing because he's not getting market value. I disagree with that because, you know, if you like a player, you move up and you can just store Mrazek. Why wouldn't you do it? Of course you would do it. So I don't think that's a big deal, but uh, I think the jury's still out on Kyle Davidson. And I think other teams are going to be able to improve themselves because of the situation in Chicago. And we saw the Habs, the Senators and the Leafs uh, take advantage of what's going on in that situation. Um, so I expect more teams to get involved. Yeah. I, I think if anything, Chicago is, even if they're not getting the ideal returns for guys like to we know they're trying to get Connor Bedard next year. And yep. if you are a team that is nowhere near being playoff ready, you should be doing the same thing. You can hate on, on how the methods are being executed with Kyle Davidson, but you can't question the desire for them for him to put his team in a position where they could get the best possible player available in next year's draft, which is supposed to be better than this year's draft. And I think at the end of the day, where Chicago may want to return to at some point, it starts with who they get in next year's draft. And who knows how much, and look, they can't be done considering some of the big salaries that are cut, that, that they're going to have to find a way to offload over the next little while, even if they're after, they're going to have to incur some of those cap penalties with the Duncan Keith uh, retirement. But, uh, Kane and Taze. Once, yeah, like for the next two years. Once Kane and Taze are gone, that is going to, and I'm sure we'll do a whole thing on that, but that is going to be the end of arguably the greatest of it's weird to say greatest, but one of the most notable eras in NHL history, which we the now team know of the is 2010s. Yeah, which we now know is shrouded in in in, in controversy and scandal, mm-hmm. but at the end of the, but also they have Stanley Cup. So if you can't, it, it's a weird sense of duality when you consider what that era has endured in the 2010s. And, and, and Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane are two of the biggest faces of it. So when it comes time for them to leave and Kyle Davidson to make those moves, that is going to be, that is going to be a wild day for yeah. fans of Chicago and for the NHL world. I don't know how they don't have these discussions right now. Like, I, I don't know how I think they, they are. I don't know how they wait until I don't know how they wait another moment. Honestly, I don't know how they, how they start this season with Taves and Kane on the roster, unless there's no takers for a Jonathan Taves, but Patrick Kane in particular, I mean, it can't just be Bedard as, as, as talented as Connor Bedard is and the 80% chance that they don't get it is something to consider. 
But if they do get Connor Bedard, it can't just be Connor Bedard. And how else are you going to get yourselves a another first round pick other than trading Patrick Kane? If he wants to leave, if he wants to go somewhere, you add to your haul by having that conversation as soon as possible and not waiting till next summer and asking these guys, hey, do you want to come back for like $2 million? You're going to lowball these guys at the end of this? Just do right by them and try to move them this offseason and get your futures in place because we know after you just traded to and Doc for maybe over underwhelming rather returns that you need more. You need more if this is going to work. And Patrick Kane in particular is a golden ticket if there is one for Kyle Davidson. What about Buffalo? Little history there, but uh, yes, very much so. Like a lot of history, obviously he's a Buffalo guy, right? Um, that would be quite the move. I don't know if Buffalo wants to be giving up futures assets, even though they're like on the, on the, uh, on the upswing three first round picks this year, uh, a core like Montreal's kind of shaping up with cousins and tuck and Krebs, but maybe not that real, real top of the line guy. So I think they have to hang around and hope that they still get that player. Uh, I do expect that they're going to be better this year, but maybe Kane's that player. Maybe he'll stick around for a little while. And all of a sudden you have uh, the guy that knocks everyone down. I want to see Patrick Kane play in playoff games. I'm not convinced Buffalo will be in those games. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like him to just come out and tell us where he wants to go. Claude Giroux style and, and force Chicago to make that deal. I guess that wouldn't be great for Chicago's future prospects though. Yeah. Especially if they're trying to make something happen, just trying to offload those salaries. But again, if Patrick Kane, once the call is out that he's asked for a trade, whether LeBron tweets it, Saravalli tweets it, Dreger, whoever, that's going to end up being the biggest story of the NHL offseason, I think. Of course. I think so. I think you're right. Kenny Malkin's pretty big, but Patrick Kane, bigger at this point. Um, the goalie market is a big, big topic in the NHL, and it kind of cleared itself up a little bit at the draft. Um, we had Vitek Vanacek traded to Jersey. We had Vili Huso have his rights traded to the Detroit Red Wings, and then he signed a three-year deal, I believe. Uh, Colorado fixed its goaltending problem like a snap of the fingers once again, getting Alexander Georgiev from the New York Rangers in a trade. And Marc-Andre Fleury decided to go back to the Minnesota Wild. Um, the free agents, other than, I guess, Huso, but he wasn't completely un- – was he completely unrestricted? I'm not really sure, but he gave up that right to see the open market by signing in Detroit. Um, mm. It leaves us with a couple teams and a couple goaltenders. And honestly, you can kind of see the seats. If, if this is musical chairs, we know who's spinning and we know how many chairs are left. Uh, Darcy Kemper's out there. Jack Campbell's out there. And teams like Edmonton, Toronto, Washington, and Buffalo appear to be in the market for goaltending. Two of those teams are desperate. Toronto doesn't have a goaltender right now. Eric Schalgren is their number one on the depth chart. And the Edmonton Oilers don't have a goaltender right now. Stuart Skinner is number one on their depth chart. Uh, Washington still has Elias Hampsonov. They could roll with him. Buffalo, Craig Anderson. I don't know if there's anything else there. So Is Luka Pekka still there? I guess he's still there. One team looks like it's, well, two teams, I guess, by the, 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 uh, the ones that I mentioned will be left at the altar here, but it seems pretty obvious that the two that need to spend the money have targets in Darcy Campbell and Jack Darcy Kemper. They're not the same goaltender Darcy Kemper and Jack Campbell. 
the Edmonton Oilers, Toronto Maple Leafs. Is it as simple as mixing and matching those two teams and two goaltenders? Or is Buffalo going to step in and leave one of Edmonton and Toronto absolutely screwed? That would be hilarious if that's where to, if that is what were to happen. Uh, for a while, I did think it could be an easy switch between uh, with 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 Kemper and Camp. Well, Kemper leaving Colorado in this case, but yeah, I I I kind of think that with as every passing day goes, and with whatever impasses there with Jack Campbell and the Leafs, unless something changes at the eleventh hour, it I I it doesn't look as if he's coming back. But things could change. Things could easily mm-hmm. change with him and the Leafs. Darcy Kemper, obviously him, not he's not going to be back in Colorado. I, I think Edmonton is going to be aggressive between either him or, or Campbell, obviously. But it would be funny to see like Buffalo or some other team just kind of step up. And I'm sure there's like other smaller roles, like a guy like Yaroslav Alak is also available too. Uh, Kevin Weeks tried to put out something about how Jake Allen could be available too, but I think that's going to be very dependent on what happens with Carey Price. If Carey Price says he's healthy and he's ready to play next year, that might make a guy like Jake Allen expendable. The Canes could get some some pieces from him in a return. And whoever is left on that altar looking for somebody to dance with, they could always throw themselves into those sweepstakes if that happens. So there are some options out there. And Jake Ottinger, also someone worth looking to see if you can throw an offer sheet at. Like that, yeah. could you imagine? I mean, that, that'll you... be signed right away. But Oh, absolutely. That, I mean, that's, I get that's that, the best goaltender still... that we've talked about so far. I, if, if, if there's anyone out there yes. uh, that deserves a big money offer sheet. I think it's him, even though he's largely unproven. I think he's the best of the bunch. Yeah. I, I think there's still definitely, there's still definitely some, uh, some musical chairs to be had with some of the goaltenders available, but it would be funny to see what looks as if it's supposed to be just like a normal quiet goaltending carousel, kind of get rocked by some team kind of coming in out of nowhere. They let Buffalo get Jack Campbell and see how these fans feel. That would be very interesting for them over the next few years. Yeah. I'm convinced the Oilers are just going to pay the highest price. Yeah. You know? Like whoever, whoever that lures, whether it's camp, I can't say both these guys in succession here. It's a big, it's a big issue for Darcy me. Kemper, Jack if Campbell. It, yeah. It's if kind of, it's Kemper kind of sound like or Campbell, <laughs> it's just, they just blur into each other. I think, I think the Oilers get the one willing to go for the big, like that wants the most money, whether that's Campbell or Kemper. Uh, I think they get that player. I think this could work out beautifully for Toronto, even though I'm not really convinced on Darcy Kemper. I think it could work out amazing, especially if Kemper goes to the Oilers for a lot of money and Campbell all of a sudden doesn't have that option. I think it could fall into the Maple Leafs hands uh, pretty beautifully, but I also think it could go haywire because if anyone else steps up and gets one of those two goaltenders, I am convinced that it would take them. It would mean that either one of those goaltenders chooses less money to go to Toronto over Edmonton. I think Edmonton's going to hold that money Trump card. They've cleared up a lot of room. They're not leaving anything to chance. It seems here. The only way they don't get a goaltender, I think, which is crazy because they failed in the last two years is if they just don't want to go there because I think they hold the most money. So this could blow up in Toronto's face or it could result in Jack Campbell coming back for way less money than he expected to get this offseason, which would, of course, be a great thing for the Maple Leafs. Um, but this is getting interesting with uh, more interested parties than there are goaltenders, at least starting goaltenders 
at this stage of the NHL offseason. As long as the Leafs don't end up in a situation where there's no one else out there and they have to call Ottawa and be like, hey, is, uh, is Matt Murray still available? Do you imagine? Yeah. I mean, that's that, that must be Matt plan Murray, B. But that must be plan B. That might be plan B, honestly. Which is insane. Uh, I, I cannot believe that the Leafs and Kyle Dubas would trust a guy who seems he doesn't want to compete sometimes, like doesn't want to be there, doesn't want to be there for his teammates, doesn't want to grind through injury, doesn't want to play unless the thing is or the situation is perfect for him. And that's just what they had reportedly with Freddie Anderson. Freddie Anderson didn't want to play because his injury was not the way he wanted it to be. And we just saw that again in Carolina with so much speculation over his availability. And you would go back to a guy who has that same personality trait and who has had several horrible seasons in the NHL and who is very overpaid. Uh, that would be, people would be stirring here in Toronto. I wonder with Matt Murray way. though, like like how much of whatever he's gone through is like because of personal stuff or, or, or anything else going like I'm, I assume for stuff like that, that always has to play a role into it. But oh, yeah. all that is all that aside, like if the Leafs find themselves in a situation where Matt Murray is playing B, like they must they like they they will have really struck out on the free agent tracker here. Like something would have desperately gone wrong. Unfortunately, they lose out Jack Campbell to somebody. They're not able to make some other move elsewhere. Like I have questions if that gets to that point. Yeah, I mean, it could be a situation where like Darcy Kemper doesn't want to play for a Canadian team. I'm not saying that's true, uh, but we've seen that before. And mm. Jack Campbell springs for the most money, which happens to be with the Oilers. I could see that happening. Like there's a very good chance that the Oilers or the, the Leafs rather are left holding the bag here and with no real option other than maybe Matt Murray. And just to be clear, I'm cheering for, I like Matt Murray. I'm cheering for the yeah. guy. I know he's gone through a lot. I want him to sort it out, but he hasn't been reliable. That's just the truth of the matter. Uh, and they need that personality trait reliability uh, desperately with Eric Shalgren being the number one currently with the Toronto Maple Leafs. That is a scary, scary situation. Uh, we shall see what happens. Buffalo, very interesting because as mentioned, they have some goaltenders there, just signed with Craig Anderson, but if they want to be better, they probably need to upgrade in that position. So, uh, and Jack Campbell has been linked there. Uh, we shall see what happens. We'll also see what happens with the Pittsburgh Penguins who signed Chris Letang to a six-year extension that will take him through to his age 41 season. Pretty crazy and interesting maybe not crazy. I think, I think he'll be fine for a while, at least three, four years. Maybe he goes Duncan Keith and just retires before um, that money um, costs them in the, those age 40, 41 seasons. Um, but it seems like despite the concessions they're willing to make them being the Pittsburgh Penguins on Latang, they won't do that with Evgeny Malkin who apparently told teammates that he doesn't think the Penguins think he's any good anymore. I, I don't know if that's the exact quote, but that was, um, the message that he sent to his teammates that he thinks the Penguins are willing to give up on him. There have been, I think, offers on the table, a couple of years, uh, maybe an option, but he wants a longer term deal, I guess. Uh, but I think he just wants to stay in Pittsburgh and that might not be an option. Uh, do you think we're headed towards a divorce here between a legend, a Penguins legend, an NHL legend, uh, and a franchise that he helped win three Stanley Cups? I think we are. I feel for a guy like Evgeny Malkin, who at his best, especially when Sidney Crosby was not playing, he established himself as the best player in the NHL at that particular moment. For a guy like him to have gone through what he's gone through with this franchise, we were talking about legacy contracts with guys like Kane and Tace in Chicago. That's a guy you'd think would be in line for one in Pittsburgh, which 
yes, you can obviously say, you know what, those types of contracts, maybe they aren't the best to dole out for players who might not be at their best. But even a guy like if, if Getty Malkin still has so much in the tank, uh, I think. And I think other teams across the National Hockey League, if he were made available, would definitely jump at him. Um, so the fact that the Pittsburgh Penguins, they were obviously willing to give Chris Letang all that money, and they don't seem to be anywhere close with, with Evgeny Malkin. If I was Evgeny Malkin, we're about like two, three days out from free agency. I think it's time to start looking elsewhere, man. Uh, unless the Penguins, I'd love to know what Sidney Crosby's thinking about, about this. Like, yeah. I'd love to know what he's thinking as a guy who probably would have wanted to see him, Latang, and Malkin stay together. But if the Penguins are not able to make something work with Evgeny Malkin, like, I, I have to wonder what Sidney Crosby feels about the fact that one of his great teammates would be playing in a different uniform. Or maybe there's a situation where Malkin may, might be asking to, for too much. But I yeah. think for, for a team like Pittsburgh, who, if we really think about it, their last two playoff runs were essentially stopped because of goaltending. And not because the core was so terrible. They just did not have reliable goaltending because of performance in one year and injuries in another. I still don't think the Pittsburgh Penguins are that far off from, from having a year where they win a playoff round or two. And if they lose Malkin as a result, they will have to fill in that piece. But I, I still think a guy like Evgeny Malkin still has something to give to a team like Pittsburgh. And if they let him go, the other guys are going to step up and try to get him. Oh, definitely. Uh, and the actions would suggest that Malkin's right. I mean, the fact that they gave Latang what they gave Latang would suggest that they still really, really covet him. And if the similar offer is not there for Malkin, and I'm not saying because he's older, I'm not saying go six years till he's 44 years old or whatever. Um, but you'd think there would be at least a similar offer that makes sense given they're both given their each uh, given their individual timelines, uh, respectively. Um, but apparently that's not the case. Uh, I hope Malkin is added to Patrick Kane among legends of the game that could all of a sudden at a cheap price boost a Stanley cup contender, you know, I want to see all the playoff teams, all the good teams oozing saturated with talent. That's what gives us the best possible Stanley cup playoffs. Just like we saw this past year, with Colorado, Tampa, and other great teams that were loaded with talent um, at the forefront. So let's see it. Malkin. I hope he's, uh, I hope he's on the market. I hope Kane's on the market. I wouldn't mind seeing Malkin go back to Pittsburgh, but if it can't be that, put him on a contender. Uh, let's see if he can show yeah. the Penguins that they made a mistake. The other big piece of news over the weekend was Philip Forsberg signing an eight-year extension for $68 million. I believe that's eight and a half million dollars a season. This thing's been talked about at nauseum, uh, or at least the negotiation. And it seems like this is exactly what it should have been. This looks like the right price. This looks like a player that belongs in Nashville. Nashville should have no reason to want to move on from him. I don't know why this took so long, to be honest. I don't really have anything else to say. Yeah, it's just the money thing. I, I thought the fact that it was at that point where it was taking so long, I was starting to get to a point where, oh, wow, like Philip Forsberg, if he puts himself out there, like I thought he would have could have easily been like a, a, a trading piece at the draft, for especially for a team like New Jersey, where it seemed as if they were itching to make a move and they ended up keeping their second pick. Like I, I was ready for a world where Philip Forsberg would play somewhere else. And, and we're talking about Kane and Taze and, 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 and potentially Malkin being on the market if it gets to that point. Let's not forget about the fact that we are days away from uh, potentially Johnny Goudreau testing the market as a free agent, as a top winger in this league. And if Philip Forsberg was going to go out there as well, 
two great wingers. Uh, I think both of them in the 40 goal plateau, like just available and out there for teams to get, like that would have been an insane storyline to follow. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think for Nashville, it's the right thing for them to do to keep a guy like Philip Forsberg under the fold. Great goal scorer for them, obviously helps kind of extend their, their, their contention window up by a few more years. Uh, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised that it got to a point where it took this long, but for the Predators fans, I'm sure they can feel some sense of relief. Yeah, interesting team. Uh, refusing to go the Kyle Davidson route. Uh, David Poyle, been there literally forever. Um, I wonder how long moves like this just, are, you know, are palatable for ownership because, you know, you obviously want Philip Forsberg to stick around. But they're a team that's like having a difficult time feeding that next level because they just they don't pick at the top of the draft enough and they haven't got that next wave of real legitimate talent but if you can't get that at least preserve the talent you have and add to it with uh you know philip forsberg signing an extension ryan mcdonough adding to what's a really good blue line protecting a really good goaltender this team is going to persist in their competitiveness i'm just not sure we're looking at a stanley cup contender uh or at least a legitimate one Okay, let's do the tire pumps. It's where we bestow praise on anything and everything in the hockey world. I'm going with Kent Hughes because he looked like a mob boss when he sat back and orchestrated the the deals that really did uh, make for an unbelievably entertaining NHL draft, which is a weird thing to say. Him sitting back in his chair, like kind of smug, kind of knowing exactly what he just did after executing a series of trades, getting everyone so pumped up in the arena, giving something for you reporters, enjoying yourselves a little bit hungover to do you reporters you say that you, you're not one you like you're, one, you're not one of us not i wasn't on the weekend i was not on the weekend uh so i, I uh i respect the job that ken hughes did he had a flair for the dramatic a little bit of a showman uh it was all there i think he passed his first test for sure and he improved the montreal canadians over draft weekend so I'm going to give my tire pump to him. And also his son got drafted, I think, by the LA Kings. So it was a great weekend for the Hughes family and for Ken Hughes himself. Surprised you didn't say uh, Dr. Evil instead of Mob Boss for Ken Hughes, considering yeah. the resemblance. I, I have too much respect. Too much respect for him. Too much respect. I'm not making like... that comparison, by the way. I'm just saying. Okay. I've heard people say it. I'm just saying that I'm surprised <laughs> that you did do it because other people have done that. As someone who, you know, works in that market, I'm not trying to get in trouble by making that comparison that I would never do. I've only heard people say it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I, I, I will let other, you and I will let other people say it though. We'll just say mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of my tire pump uh, for this week, one of my favorite stories that came out of uh, this year's draft, uh, the Anaheim Ducks managed to snag three Quebecois players with their first few picks. And a lot of people are obviously kind of focusing on that, but two of them in particular, I think have a really interesting story. Uh, Noah Warren and Tristan Luneau uh, both uh, knew each other when they were like 10 years old playing against and with each other in youth hockey. Both of them top 10 picks in the QMJ QMJHL draft in the same year. Both of them ended up playing for Gatineau and teammates as long as they've as long as they've been. And now they're both drafted in the same round by the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, I got to profile Warren for, for the athletic and I got to know Tristan a little bit through that process. So to see them both ended up being snagged by the same team, I thought that was a really cool story. And uh, I'm willing to give uh, the Ducks and those two players uh, my tire pump for this week. Love it. Check out that piece. Definitely. Uh, also a tire pump to Maverick Lamroux's parents for uh, 
stealing the show and Kevin hey, Weeks. Yo. Great, great reaction from Kevin Weeks. That was, uh, I didn't get to see any of the ESPN stuff. I wish I did. Wasn't on like NHL.TV or whatever. I couldn't find any of it, but uh, I wanted to check that out. And uh, the one clip I did see, or the couple clips that I did see, were very, very entertaining with, he, with uh, Weeks reacting to that. Uh, Emily Kaplan's interview with Isaac Howard, who went 31st overall, I believe, to the yeah, Tampa near the Bay end Lightning, of the first. just saying he was the best looking guy uh, at the draft. A little bit of fun, a little bit of personality. You need that at a, at a draft. You need what Kent Hughes provided, and you needed some funny moments along the way, and we saw all of that. Uh, so it was a good draft. It's a better draft for you than me. But one day, I'll be a part of your Venn diagram, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to say anything else after that man peace <laughs> <laughs>